Hi, my name is Jamie Lynch, and you are listening to Eating Habits, my podcast about everything restaurants. I will explore the human element of the hospitality business, and I'll talk to the who's who in restaurants, explore their stories, and hear what's on their minds in the ever-changing landscape of the food and beverage industry. Hey, I'm Jonathan Kish, uh, 82 Queen, Jalisco Taqueria, and we're here with Eating Habits. Thank you. Nice to meet you, Jonathan. Nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. Welcome to the podcast. Absolutely. Cool. All right. So um, let's figure out who you are. I'm trying to figure that out still, too. Okay, but, good. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. It's, it's a long, windy road. I, I tell, tell the staff, I'm like, I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. So uh-huh. I don't know the answer to that yet, but I can tell you where I've been. So, so how'd you end up in hospitality? So I was born in 84, and 82 Queen was born in 82. I was born pretty much into 82 Queen. Gotcha. Uh, my father was the founding <laughs> chef, and so that was, that was the way to go see dad. Okay. Let's go to work. So I, I've been in the hospitality industry pretty much my entire life. Okay, great. So, so your father, Steve, mm-hmm. was the was the chef partner. Correct. Eighty two. Ah, yeah. interesting. I didn't realize he was a chef. Yeah, yeah. He was. The, he came from uh, from Seabrook. Okay. Um, so there's a couple people who came from Seabrook to start Eighty Two Queen. Okay. And so he was the sous chef at Seabrook, the acting executive chef. He got angry at them for not making him actually the executive chef, and so he left there with the GM at the time. They started Eighty Two Queen. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Very cool. And so, and that when they opened that in 82, you said? In 82, yeah. Okay, so that's been around for a hot minute. It is a 40 staple. years, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. How was that experience for you coming up um, in the restaurant? Because I have an 18-year-old son mm-hmm. who is actually a barista at our French restaurant in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, so he came up through the restaurant business um, as well. I'm wondering what your experience was. I mean, I loved it. And I guess 82 Queen's a weird place. And I didn't know that, you know, for a long time, because it's like three houses put together into one building. And so then I go and like, I, I go to college, I go to Clemson and I start working at other restaurants. People are saying how hard it is. And I'm like, I'm used to like running between buildings and I got to deal with rain and this and that. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, this is nothing. Yeah. The kitchen's over here. The kitchen's I got to go here, to a new the dish rooms over here. Yeah. The, I mean, everything's in, a, in the wrong spot, but it works in this kind of beautiful weirdness. So, I mean, I, I had fun growing up in it and it was, you know, for me, like I got to go to work with dad all the time, mm-hmm. you know? And so then, you know, I started in the kitchen Yep, that lasted a couple of years and then I realized there was money in the front of the house. So I went to the uh-huh. front of the house, made Likely the money. Story. And then, uh, I thought it was cool at the time. Now looking back, I'm like, they really screwed me, but they needed a Sunday manager. So at 17, I was the Sunday manager. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, this is cool. I'm a manager. <laughs> and so I'm the Sunday manager at 17 years old and realized they just, you know, yeah, they were you. playing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Somebody's got to do that shift. Yeah, exactly. It's low so, impact. That's funny. Then, uh, then went to Clemson and the whole time I was there, my dad was like, you're getting out of the industry. I'm like, I am. I kind of want to do it. I was like, I was thinking about doing this, got into financial services. And so I've sold everything you can imagine in financial services. The last was investments. And then that led me to working at a family office where we started about 13 businesses mm-hmm. um, in there. So that was my MBA uh-huh. was that. Um, the last one was a restaurant. So it was, a, it was a car wash, gas station, barbecue restaurant all in one spot. Oh, wow. Really cool spot. And that opened up in 2012. So we had nobody to run it. So I guess we got to run it. The guy <laughs> who has experience in restaurants. And then I realized then I have no experience in restaurants. Going from serving to Sunday managing, working in the kitchen a little bit to now you're operating a restaurant. Right. Completely different ballgame. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, that experience of, uh, of, of operating a business rather than managing a Sunday, yeah. a Sunday dinner service. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I mean that, was, that was my first real crack at it, like yeah. actually understanding it. So I mean, I had to do everything from, we didn't have a chef. 
So mm-hmm. I started coming up with the menu. Then I realized, oh, I need a chef. I'm not, I'm not a chef. Right. right. So we hired a chef. And then it was like, I've got a car wash to run. I need a car wash manager. I mean, there's that place was so weird. Yeah. And so I had to, you know, and get a lot all... of different facets happening out of the same operation. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's, you know, out the gates from a revenue standpoint, it was a 10 million a year store. Wow. I mean, out the gates, but it needed that. So, I mean, the, the, the gas station alone, 6 million, wow. you know, on that, and you don't make any money on $6 million, which is crazy. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you think from a restaurant standpoint, like yeah. you can make good money on 6 million, but right, so no, Mark gas station off my list. Gas, yeah. Yeah. If the gas station's not doing 12 million. It's not worth it. Um, but I mean, I, I learned so fast what I needed to learn. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I think that was, it was good for me mm-hmm. to have that experience, you know, doing that. And then we had my first kid at the same time. And mm-hmm. so that was operating that we got that going, got it profitable. I called my dad and I said, oh, this is in Arizona. So I didn't mention that either. I was living yeah. in Arizona at the time. Gotcha. I was like, I got to come home. So, you know, if nothing else, I'm working a hundred hours a week for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great experience, but I'd rather come home and do it, raise my kids in Charleston mm-hmm. and, you know, come back to the business. Yeah. So I called my dad. I said, I'm coming back to work. I didn't give him a choice. I said, I'm coming back to work at the restaurant and, and we're going to do some things. So wow. and that was 10 years ago. Yeah. yeah. So you were born in Charleston. I was born in Charleston. So, you, so you're yeah. a Charlestonian. Yeah. I'm one of the, the few. <laughs> yeah. The, you know, Charlotte's the same way. There isn't a whole lot of people from there, but yeah. there's a lot of people there. Yeah. I lived in Charlotte for two years too. Yeah. Cool. So, I mean, I was, uh, I was working at Vanguard. Okay. So they got a big office there and that's what brought yep. me to Arizona. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask how you ended up in Arizona. Yeah. So they, um, it was kind of this weird, you know, we went and visited Arizona. It was in February. Of course it's gorgeous. Um, so we're in the Scottsdale area, visited there in February. We've been trying to sell our house in Charlotte. This is 2007. So terrible time to sell a house. Yeah. Right. That was right um, before yeah. like the bottom dropped out. Yeah. It right? was like right as it, like it's, it's yeah, it, it was, was 2008. I was trying to sell in 2008. Okay. Um, so it had dropped out and I'm working at Vanguard in investments. And so I'm having to deal with all our clients like yeah. calling and like, right. it's awful. Hey, everything, yeah, yeah. Yeah, everything, not a good time to be in finance. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but anyway, we got back, we had a contract on the house within like a week. And I joked with them at Vanguard. I was like, so is there any job opportunities in Arizona? They're like, yeah, we got you right now. I'm like, okay, well, yeah. so my wife and I didn't have kids at the time. So we we're like, oh, let's just go. Like, yeah. I mean, what's holding us back? Yeah. So we lived there for about four years, got other great opportunities and experiences and, and experienced that West for a little while. Nice. So you return, you return to Charleston in what year? That was, uh, it was 2012, 12. And yeah. did you go, did you go back and work with your dad? Yep. I, we, uh, we drove across country and then the next day I was working. And so. at that time it was just 82 queen. Or did um, he so, have other? So you had 82 queen and low country bistro. Okay. Um, which hasn't been around for some years. Uh, but that was a 49 South market. Um, really close to five church. Yep. So we were operating that at the time. And then in 2013, we talked to, uh, our, who's going to be our partner at the time, uh, Anthony Bernardo, mm-hmm. um, Swig and Swan. And yep. So we started Swig and Swan with him. Cool. So we helped grow that to the three stores. Uh, I say we built five restaurants because we burned two down. Um, <laughs> Did you really? Experience nobody should ever go through. Oh, no. Um, yeah. So Let's we, talk about that. One was real bad. So I mean, what, there was one little mild one, but when the Somerville store um, had a catastrophic failure um, and the, was that a mechanical thing was it a was it, it a was human uh, error thing was it, it was stupid it's an ember you know mm-hmm. for those listening about an inch big for those watching about yeah. that big yeah and we watched on the camera and ember just fell out of the fireplace which is where we had our you yeah. know started our burns and it just fell underneath. So you the had like pile. you had like a like a fireplace for like getting the logs burning, mm-hmm. and then you yeah. transform them yeah. into the smoke. So that one stuff. little ember fell underneath the log pile. Oh man! And then it the just it went unchecked. And wow. so like two hours later, we watch it, and then the whole room is on fire. 
And so we learned a lot from this experience, uh-huh. things you don't want to learn. Yep. Um, so that room was actually, it was kind of glassed into the store. So mm-hmm. you could look into it. Really cool. You yeah. Know, how that laid out. That was out. like the smoke, the, the smoker smoke room. room. Yeah. And so there was uh, six smokers in there. So, and, and for those of you who don't know, when you light a smoker on fire, there is grease in there and it yeah. becomes a worse fire. Uh, Another mistake we had is we had a pressure washer right in front of that glass window right there. Uh, so once that caught, it then exploded and it exploded the glass, which then introduced a bunch of cold oxygen into the uh, room and it created a bomb. <laughs> so backdraft. The, the roof, having like backdraft. Yeah. Uh, the roof blew off the building. Oh, <laughs> yeah. holy smokes. Yeah. No pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> Good one. Um, so oh that, Sorry you, that. that was, when, when, when was that? That was 2017. Okay. I want to so, say 2017. All right. So years ago, I mean, trauma, like, yeah, business wise, the worst experience of my life. Yeah. Um, and then having to deal with insurance and everything after that. And we got to rebuild and it took about a year, year and a couple months and we got to rebuild and back open. Wow. Holy and smokes. then that was also the real, the real nut kicker for that day was we were all having a meeting there earlier that day of the fire. Yep. And we had made the decision and committed to buying new equipment that was safer. Wow. And then that so you night, were having a safety conversation <laughs> and then boom. Yeah. Oh man, that's so, horrifying. Yeah. I can't imagine. I don't I, want anybody to ever go through that. That's yeah, it's awful. I'm knock on something. Yeah. It's like I have not had that experience yet. And you don't want it. <laughs> and I don't Please want don't it. Have it. Yeah, yeah, I won't. Thank you. I also don't do barbecue so that's it's it's a lot safer in the world of non-barbecue right well we do so we do have um we entered into the world of live fire with at tempest Mm -hmm. um our our newest spot here and um we do it we have a charcoal oven Mm -hmm. now the cool thing is that it's an enclosed oven you can shut it down you can shut it you can close it down you can whatever and it's also charcoal yeah so you don't we don't have like ripping flames Mm -hmm. it's more like you know it's embers and stuff like that and it's small I mean, but it cranks some heat. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. So, I mean, it's been a fun to work with, but I can't imagine having to deal with like no, and you're six like, giant yeah. smokers. How, how big were your smokers? Um, like how much, how much meat would you guys? We, if we were to fill everything at one shot, it's about 1200 pounds of meat. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was a lot of meat. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Holy smokes. Yeah. Learned a lot through that experience. When, when did, um, the Queen Street Hospitality Group start? Did your father start that with so that, uh, Queen or did he kind of? start the hospitality group later as he decided. I guess the, the actual answer to the question is I don't know. We just okay. kind of started naming, like token that name. Yeah. So, but if we say, if I was to give it a date, it's when he bought out the last partner. Okay. Um, so that was in 2011. He right. bought out the last partner of 82 Queen. It was just him. Gotcha. And so now fast forward 2022, January 1, 2022, he retired. Yeah. And so now he's, he's out and it's just my brother and I. Okay. When did he just retired? Yeah. One year ago. Okay, yeah. cool. Right on. Good for him. So how's that going? Now you and your brother, how's, how's it like working with the fam? It's, it has its interesting moments. I mean, yeah. you know, you, I can imagine, you, you know, it's, it's your brother, you know, it's, yeah. sometimes it's also you, the restaurant business, yeah, which is, a, which has its, its own family and yeah. it's own right. And you all yell at each other and <laughs> curse at each other and, and you know, you get through it at the end of the day and yeah. And then you have a beer. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you guys divvy up um, responsibilities now? So um, we figure that out day to day. Uh, but I mean, for the most part, I'm, I'm the finance, the financial guy. So I, mean, I, do that. So. I feel like I'm more the back of the house guy too. Cause I kind of started there mm-hmm. more so. And then if I like fall into who am I going to help, 
I tend to help the back of the house more. Yeah. I don't know why it just yeah. kind of falls that way. And especially is it, is it that you're more comfortable with the food or is it that I think it's that I love food yeah. so much. And, and so like I care about the quality and what we're putting out and that's mm-hmm. that I feel like that's a good place for me to make sure that we're putting out the best product. Mm-hmm. So, and then from the front of the house side, I mean, I do care about that too, but sure. I mean, he's a better front of the house operator. Gotcha. Right? So I'll give him that. Gotcha. So, you know, he kind of helps the front of the house side and then he's better with facilities than me. Mm-hmm. So he, he's more maintenance minded so he can handle that. And, and we're in a 150 year old building. So <laughs> there's a maintenance problem every single day. I fully can relate. <laughs> Both yeah, of our downtown. Yeah. yeah. In, yeah. in a hundred year old church. Right. Yeah. Which has, I mean, something breaks every, every day. day. We actually, um, and I don't know if you guys do this or not, but we finally smartened up or wised up to the fact that we needed to have a maintenance team mm-hmm. on our payroll. Yeah. Like instead of paying somebody to come in every, you know, three times a week to fix mm-hmm. a plumbing problem or whatever. Right. So we, um, we finally wised up to that and it's been amazing to have a team like focused on that. Yeah. We've got um, one, one gentleman right now and he's, he's great. Yeah. And so we got all pitch in and help. And then obviously we got subs that help do the big stuff, but we're training him on things. So we put him through backflow testing. So mm-hmm. he's now got his backflow certification. Nice. So that's one of those stupid little things. Nobody in restaurants would outside of restaurants ever understand you got to do every single year. Yep. And it's like 300 bucks per backflow. Mm-hmm. So that alone, you know, will save some money on that. Yep. He's getting some things in his personal life figured out, but then we're going to put him through HVAC training. Nice. And as you know, that'll save us a lot of fortune. Money. Yeah. <laughs> Especially down here. Yeah. Um, I mean, in the summer, it's like, your HVAC is like life. No, if you, that goes down, you're done. Yeah. That dining room's done. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Crazy. Cool. So what, how many, how many, um, operations are you guys responsible for right now? So currently two. Two. So we've got 82 queen. We've got Jalisco Taqueria on James Island, which we opened that, uh, December 13th of 29, no, 20, Oh, when, did so pan- just, when did the pandemic start? That 20, was, 2019. March tw- yeah. yeah. So we opened like three months before the yeah. pandemic started. So Ugh. for the first two months, we're like, man, this is awesome. Like, yeah, well, this is what a business should be. And then the pandemic hit and it's, it's been a struggle ever since. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, not to talk too much about the pandemic cause right. I'm glad it's over. Yeah. Um, but people's dynamics and how they eat and everything's changed a lot. Mm-hmm. And so that area of James Island where once was super busy is not. Yeah. And so it's been, it's been a little bit of a struggle right there. So I don't, I don't want to talk about the pandemic, but I think the results of it are interesting. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that people's um, kind of dining dynamic changed. What, what, what do you mean by that? Like what's, what are you seeing in your, your place? Are they shifting locations? Is it how they're eating? So at least with what we're seeing. So we've got, we have a tourist restaurant. We have a locals restaurant. Mm-hmm. I think the, the spending on eating has changed a lot more towards tourism spending. Mm. So locals, you know, James Island, I think one other metric that I will always look at when opening a new restaurant is grocery stores per capita, mm-hmm. which James Island has got to be the highest grocery store per capita in the world. So okay. that means they eat at home and ah, I should have paid more attention. I live on James Island. I, I love James Island. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's like nine grocery stores for 27,000 people. Yeah. And then West Ashley has like four grocery stores for 200,000 people. Interesting. So I, that, that's a metric that I'm always going to use from now on. I'm glad you mentioned that. I would never thought of that. It's a weird one. Like, yeah. yeah. Interesting. So. I want, and now that brings up, I wonder like if the kinds of grocery stores that are in that neighborhood will affect that I, number. I think too. that's true too. So, 
You know, like we're in front of a food line and I don't think that we get a lot of crossover business. You mm-hmm. know, you think from a grocery store you should. Right. But I think if we were in front of a Publix or a Harris Teeter, we may get more. I'm not right. saying anything bad about food line. I love it. I shop there too. But sure. And definitely it's the saving grace for the restaurant when we run out of something. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> how, how many of those receipts do you guys get a week? Too many. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Same. Yeah. It's, I think that's uh, it's just something you always... We, we've got the teeter close by and one is yeah. like somebody's always running so that uh that downtown teeter here in charleston so i know one of the co co-managers there and he uh ordering for him is the hardest thing and they have their you know their automated programs that do ordering yeah but it can't account for i ran out of straws today uh-huh. because a restaurant came and wiped me out yeah yeah it came They're and used bought to like up residential like a case yeah. of- <laughs> that's hilarious cool let's talk a little bit about the um low country hospitality association mm-hmm. What, what, what is the history of that? You're, you're vice president of that. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I'm the vice president of the low country hospitality association, which, um, the history of that, it started with, you know, some guys back in the, the 1980s, mm-hmm. um, wanting to, you know, get the restaurants together to do stuff. And, you know, whether it's even just get the operators together to, to have parties, which that happened a lot back in the 80s. <laughs> so is the, the Charleston restaurant association at the time, the hotel mm-hmm. association had their own thing. And mm-hmm. so we'll get to that in a moment, but. So Low Country Hospitality Association, about five or six years ago, there's a lot of efficiency of bringing together the hospitality, like the hotels and the restaurants together. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the, the main things that it's evolved into is a political voice. And so bringing more people together, you have more voice. And yep. so we can, you know, accumulate that to go talk to representative centers, what have you. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was about five or six years ago. And so as part of that, the Charleston Restaurant Foundation um, was under the Charleston Restaurant Association. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So we split it off at the time um, to, uh, to achieve our goals there and then not have to be intertwined with, you know, you don't want to have politics and fundraising necessarily together. Right. Obviously, they go together all the time, but at least not the way we do it. So, so does the foundation fund the association? The foundation does is now completely separate. Okay. So it doesn't fund the association at all. Okay. It's got, um, it's its own entity. Yeah. So the, the association is funded a couple different ways. So we have affiliate members and we have members of mm-hmm. it. Um, so affiliate members are your vendors and things like that. Then, you know, we have a, a vendor show for them and things like that. Um, and then the membership, which is, it's now all a little confused because if you are a member of travel council with the Charleston area convention and visitor bureau, you have a membership with LHA mm-hmm. as long as you're a restaurant or hotel. Um, and so you can participate in that. So that's where we get the other funding from. Gotcha. Cool. And then, um, so how much of, of the focus is dealing with legislation on behalf, behalf of restaurants and the community mm-hmm. restaurant community and how much of it is, um, I mean, there's some events like we'll talk a little bit about the um, restaurant week, which mm-hmm. is coming up. Um, you know, and those kind of activities. Yeah. So it's, um, you can kind of look at them as like a, like a three legged, like activity mm-hmm. of what we do. So the, so one is the political, political side. Mm-hmm. So the other is workforce development. And then the other is kind of everything else. So like the events and things like that. So, I mean, the political side is political side. So obviously there's, there's hundreds of bills that go through the house, the Senate, both federal and, and local every year that need an opinion from a restaurant person or mm-hmm. a hotel person. and they need an opinion. I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes a lot of those people, they don't know the industry. And so they are looking for people who do know. And mm-hmm. so that's one big piece. Um, the event side. So 
you know, talking about restaurant week, which we do in Charleston twice a year, mm-hmm. um, which makes no sense at all, but it's great for operators, <laughs> yeah. um, and the employees in there. Um, so that, you know, help with those on and the, be the marketing, you know, end of that. Um, the other big piece that's really spurred up in the last three years is the workforce development piece. And that's one yeah. that I think we're only just scratching the surface of and not to mention that weird three years that passed us, but that, right. that put a damper on it too. Right. So, I mean, there's things in there like just training. So, yeah. I mean, a lot of, a lot of restaurant operators, hotel, hotels are a little different, but restaurant operators, they don't have the capital to put together a good, you know, robust training program, mm-hmm. you know, especially a small mom and pop it's here, hit the floor and start doing it and then we'll figure it out later. Yep. You know, bigger operations have a little bit more to it, but you know, say, you know, through the CVB and the LHA, you have an opportunity to send your salespeople to a class, like a one day class that can teach them how to be better salespeople. And that's no charge. Right. So, I mean, that's some great things to put there. Every restaurant has to have ServSafe certified people. So membership includes ServSafe certification. So, I mean, just the training piece alone. And then other than that, going out to, you know, job fairs, going to colleges and trying to attract people to Charleston, mm-hmm. you know, that part's not terribly hard, attracting yeah. them here. Yeah. You know, if you're coming from Chicago, I mean, come on, who doesn't right. want to live here? Yeah, so. totally. Yeah. Anywhere up north, really. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's cold now, but yeah. I, I was looking at Chicago, seven degrees today. No, mm-hmm. I'm good. I'll stay here. You know, and well, I'll tell you, and I think some of the, I, I think that some of the backlash from this pandemic thing too, is the people living in all those huge cities. Like there's, there's a lot of benefits to being in a city like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but having a little bit of space too. And like, you yeah. know, and I think you see a lot of those people coming South because they're, you know, you're not built on top of each other. You're not, right. you know, you do yeah. have a little bit of buffer right. zone. You can breathe a little bit. Yeah. And, um, and, and that's important these days for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. So what are the, what other kinds of things are, do you guys are, are you working on or thinking about working on? Is there anything new that you're working on as far as the development part of the um, workforce? Cause I think that's a really important part of what you guys are yeah. doing now, it, it especially makes- with the exodus of, you know, 25% of the workforce vaporized. Well, let me, let me comment on that, at least here in Charleston real quick, just yeah. that, the, the metrics of people. So the, before the pandemic, the Charleston area employed 47,000 people in mm-hmm. hospitality. What would you guess it is today? Uh, I, I don't, I have no idea. 50,000 people. Okay. So we're, we're employing more today than before yep. the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So, which is crazy to think that some of us feel short staff still. Mm-hmm. But I think if you look at the, just the operations that opened right. during the pandemic. Yeah. Cause there was growth. Yeah. There's a ton of growth yeah. and, and you know, not necessarily sustainable growth. But that's a whole nother issue that yeah. other people can talk about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. I don't anything about that. So I'm not, yeah, <laughs> I'm not even going to, you know, but it's, it's, you know, good news at least to the city to work in this industry. Yeah. Um, and then I do think in, in the recent time, you know, you're hearing lots of layoffs, you know, from other industries, mm-hmm. I think we're the beneficiary of it. So mm-hmm. we're starting, you know, I don't know how, how you see it. I'm getting applications. Applications. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. We're, we're, we're getting applications. I mean, it's, the, I think it's, it's finding for us, the difficult thing. And I think that's true of most, you know, it depends on your operation, but you know, the thing that, that I'm interested in is finding the right people, yeah. you know, um, you know, there are restaurants. So happy we're not at bodies like anymore. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. Like, I just need hands. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter. If, yeah, just come in here and hold this, you know? I have one chef at Jalisco. Uh, He's like, can you put fog on glass? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and I think that's the hard part, right? Is, um, you know, and, and I think when you shift from being just a restaurant operation, 
or a food service operation to a hospitality operation, that piece of the puzzle becomes so much more valuable. People are the thing that is the difference between serving food and serving hospitality. And I think right? going back to the LHA, that is one of our goals is to maintain hospitality mm-hmm. in the city of Charleston. That's something that that piece of culture can get lost so fast. Mm-hmm. You know, by we're hiring bodies and we're not training the people and it just right. survives. Yeah. So what kind of, what kind of, um, trainings and you mentioned trainings for like a sales training for, for, for people and then the sanitation stuff. Is there other training, uh, opportunities? Like what, what else is, is, is involved there for people that don't know? Cause I don't know. And I'm interested. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff. And, uh, Jenny at, uh, the CVB, she can tell anybody a whole lot more than yeah, I can yeah. about this. But I mean, there is just hospitality training too. Mm-hmm. So I mean, back to that piece of culture that Charleston needs to have, I mean, there's just, there's classes on how to be hospitable, Yeah, which seems insane, you know, from a Charlestonian, because that's how we grew up. But I I think, you know, these things, yeah, they, they're ruining us. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, you know, I've got kids, I call them kids, they're not, they're probably adults at this point. <laughs> I, I got kids, I mean, they don't know how to talk on a phone. Uh-huh. And so, I mean, there's just things like that, you know, yeah. trying to that point, it's like how to answer the phone properly, mm-hmm. how to talk to somebody, and it's not all texting, it's... <laughs> right, yeah. You can have a conversation. Do you think that there's, so I've been struggling with this, um, and my kind of like approach to our operation is, is, you know, we've had to shift gears a lot and, you know, evolve how we do the business we do. I'm kind of old school. You know, like I'm probably the oldest school chef in, in, in our group. And, um, and my approach is kind of old school, but I've had to like think about new ways to reach my team, to inspire my team, to do better, to, um, to learn the information, to stay connected because it's different. Embracing these things, right? Do you think that, um, part of me thinks the future is finding ways to use that, um, and actually you know, <laughs> I think when we first started, I was screaming at people all the time about having their phones. Mm-hmm. Like, get rid of those. You know, I don't want to see your fucking phone. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm starting to wonder, and I've been wondering for a while, and thinking about different ways to use the, the technology. Uh, because, I mean, I have an 18-year-old son. He's juiced in to his phone. I mean, um, and that's just how he communicates and maneuvers through the world. Mm-hmm. So if that's true then uh, maybe we got to embrace that in hospitality and find ways to do, yeah. you know. But I mean, the little things that at least our staff have picked up, like we use Resi, mm-hmm. and, you know, they do love texting. Yeah. Well, Resi, you can text your customers, mm-hmm. you know, and you can see them do confirmations through there, and they'll have conversations via Resi mm-hmm. on text. And, yeah. I mean, it, I guess to that degree it is they're practicing hospitality just right. in their way. Right, right. And so, I mean, what I'd be curious to see is, I, I mean, I follow the crypto market, you know, and, you know, virtual real estate and how that interacts with restaurants. Virtual real estate. Yeah, I, know. I don't even want to go down that road. <laughs> Let's not talk about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that off. Look at the, the, the metaverse and yeah. how does that, how's that going to re, you know, relate to restaurants? And mm-hmm. I think that's something we're going to have to cross that bridge. I mean, not in the next five years, yeah, yeah. but in the next decade. I mean, I think we're going to have to start thinking about it. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it's, it's kind of neat. Like, so if you're thinking about like. Does hospitality exist in the metaverse? It has to. Right? <laughs> I don't know. We're going to make it. Yeah. It's, I mean, there's going to be a market yeah. there. We'll have to figure out what yeah. that means. I mean, I guess think if you think like DoorDash, like, you know, you're going out, you're looking for something to somebody to deliver to you. Yeah. What if it is like you're walking down a mall and there's a bunch of menus and you can like. I don't know, it seems weird to me, but like you can like look over here, look at this menu, look over yeah. here, look at this menu. Oh, I'm gonna buy from there. 
Like, so it probably is going to be here. Yeah. So, I I, I'm sure it will be here at some point. But let's talk about the universe, right. <laughs> the, the universe that yes. we're in. And, and I want to talk about Restaurant Week because it's coming up and it's important. And I don't, you know, we talked a little bit before about how maybe a lot of people don't understand why we do Restaurant Week. And I think it's important to talk about that a little bit. And I also want to talk about the Oyster Festival because um, that's interesting. And I think that's unique to, that's unique to the Charleston market or at least coastal markets that have oysters to, to sell. So, so let's, start, let's start off with um, Restaurant Week. How did that get here? I mean, we've been doing it, some of the larger cities were doing it for a long time, but it's fairly new, I mean, what, 10 years, like a decade or so? I think we're, little, I think we're about 15 years. Okay. Now. Yeah, and so, I mean, you kind of nailed the start. So some of the bigger cities have been doing it for a while. So that mm-hmm. was really the, looking at what did New York do, what did San Francisco do, and, you know, they had success, mm-hmm. you know, with these restaurant weeks and pulling locals out and going to eat. And so we looked at as far as the association, what are the two worst weeks of the year? Mm-hmm. So right after Christmas in January, awful week. Yep. So, you know, Restaurant Week has changed that dynamic now, but before we did Restaurant Week, you know, let's say I'll use 82 Queen as an example. I mean, you could stand around and do five covers. Five. Yeah. Like with nothing. I mean, it's not even worth being open. Right. So that was, you know, we often would close for maintenance, you know, because mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not going to pay people just to stand around and do nothing. Right. So close for maintenance. So this is a way you know, to keep people employed, mm-hmm. you know, because there's oftentimes in Charleston, there was winter layoffs. Mm-hmm. So, and then you have to rehire people right before seaweed. So they'd be laid off for five, six weeks. Yep. So, you know, it keeps people employed, keeps servers making some money. You know, they may complain about it, but it keeps them making some money, you know, during that off time. Mm-hmm. It was right after restaurant week, they get a, they get a taste of it. Mm-hmm. That week after is not good. Yeah. Yes. So, and then that's what is, what if that is now today is better than what it was 15 years ago. Right. So, and then the other worst week of the year was um, right after Labor Day. Okay. And so schools back in. Yeah. Every, like everything. People are trying to get their groove back together. They're not thinking about going out. Yeah. So the week after Labor Day, so that's the actual Charleston one. Mm-hmm. And then the January one is the South Carolina. Gotcha. Okay, cool. And so that's coming up. That's going to be this year. It's what we took so January 12th to 22nd. 22nd. And what does. How many, do you know how many restaurants are participating? Um, I don't, I'm not updated on the metrics on that. Yeah. So if you go to lowcountryhospitalityassociation.com, it's mm-hmm. got a list of all the restaurants on there. Cool. Um, it also has whatever their specific deal is and yeah. a link for reservations. Is there, is there any sort of, um, what, what are the rules for restaurant weeks for participating restaurants? Are there any, or is it just kind of like... So we had rules when we first did. Yeah. So when we first started, it was like, you're doing three courses, 30 bucks. Yeah. Three courses, 40 bucks. And so then after, you know, six, seven years, it's evolved to really do whatever you want to offer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I agree and disagree with that, you know, decision at the same time. But I think, you know, it's allowed other people to participate that wouldn't have participated. So in that regard, it's great. Mm-hmm. So I mean, if you got a restaurant that didn't fall into a three for 30 type restaurant, like they couldn't do it before. Mm-hmm. So now they can do it. Or if you've got, you know, somebody that's too high end to do three for 30, I mean, three courses, 30 bucks for a high end restaurant. I mean, they, that doesn't work for them yeah. either. So that was kind of wide open, you know, okay. whatever you want. I, I think, I mean, the most important metric is it's bringing people on team. Yeah. And so the hotels have benefited from it too, because it's actually bringing tourism to Charleston, you know, in those, that weird pocket of time that shouldn't have tourism. How long have you, is that, is that a fairly new uh, development? Is it people coming to Charleston for restaurant week? Cause I, I mean, I feel like early, early on, I mean, I, I've been doing it for 
I think seven, like seven years here. So um, for, for us, I didn't really notice visitors coming out to enjoy it so much as we were trying to drag out locals that maybe were like hunkering down a little hungover from the, the holidays. And we're like, hey, you know, here's a little incentive. How long have you been noticing um, the hotels benefiting? Um, I've, I've been more in tune with it since we became the LHA. Okay. okay. The hotel's part of our group. Mm-hmm. So that's now about five years. But I think it's been, you know, almost from the beginning, it's done, brought some people. Okay. But now it's just so much more. Yeah. You know, and, and it kind of goes back to that dynamic of, you know, where, when and where do I want to spend my money? Mm-hmm. Um, as, and I, I think it's, you know, through the last three years, it's become more and more on just experiences in general. Mm-hmm. And is it an experience to go out in my own city? I think it's one of those debates that people have. And I don't sure. blame them. I mean, you yeah. should have that debate. Right. So, you know, do I want to experience something in another city? You know, I live in Columbia. You know, mm-hmm. it's only a two-hour drive. I can spend one night, go eat a couple of restaurants, and then go back home. Right. So that's a better experience than I'm going to go to Five Points in Columbia and, and find somewhere to eat. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's a whole different... I'm a Clemson fan, so I'm always going to make fun of Columbia. But. <laughs> <laughs> um what um are 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 hotels doing some sort of deal for during restaurant week as well the option the option okay to offer to, to offer deals for the are you familiar of any that are uh back to i'll refer to the website yeah yeah okay i i hope that they do and that would be something that i think could benefit everybody right is like get get that because people want to come to charleston and i know yeah. i mean like low country hotels they will offer i mean i know that yeah so and other groups are offering too so. okay 82 Queen, obviously, is going to be participating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know our restaurants always participate. Um, you know, I, I love doing it. I think um, there's a couple of other facets of this I think we should talk about. And one is, you know, keeping people employed. You mentioned what, what you know, when we started doing it in, in Charlotte years ago, before we even opened down here, um, you know, staff get squirrely after the holidays. They spend all their money, you know, <laughs> They like to go out and party. There's a lot of Christmas things going down or uh, holiday parties. Um, and then it just dries up, right? And after, after New, New Year's, it's huge. You like blow the roof off, you know, record sales, all that kind of stuff, huge tips. And then there's nothing for four weeks. And you have to live off of that. Um, and I think, you know, one thing that we've tried to do and, and, um, I think staff that's been in the industry for a while get it now. Um, you know, people that are like lifers, right? Like servers that are that are going to be hospitalitarians forever. They know restaurant week's coming, and that this is an opportunity for them to to earn in a time that's typically slow. I think that's super important. And then, moreover, for for us, you know, for me, I think it's about capturing a clientele that you maybe wouldn't otherwise get. And I think that's you know. Yes, bringing out the locals and bring out people that are maybe hungover from the holidays and spending money, but also the opportunity like those, the tourists that come in or um, people that maybe, you know, wouldn't check out a restaurant, give it a try because there's a value there. I mean, I think that's the key about the restaurants, maybe t- operating at a slightly higher margin during that time mm-hmm. to offer a value to earn that that you know well i mean if you think like let's say it's a three course for third you know i'll say 30 just yeah just because that's what it used to be but that's not necessarily asking restaurants to run a 40 percent food cost or 45 percent food you still run a 30 percent food cost right. three courses can be a lot of food yeah i mean especially in mean, a lot of restaurants i mean that is a lot of food mm-hmm. so you can still run your 30 or you know we 24 percent but you can just still run your margin you know yeah. that you want to run and you nailed it on the head i mean getting some people out who may not have experienced you before. Right. You know, I think the one thing, you know, 
at least maybe Queen, you kind of take for granted is all these new people moving to Charleston. Mm-hmm. You know, there's 54 people a day moving here. I mean, that yeah. insane metric. Right. But, you know, we've been around 40 years. They don't know who the hell I am. Mm-hmm. And so getting in front of some of those people that have moved to Charleston that don't have no idea who we are. Right. You know, it's a great opportunity and like and bringing the tourists in too. But, you know, I, the local business is great. Yeah. And you want them, you know, in, 100%. Coming all the time. To you. Well, and, and they're the ones that are going to, they're going to be the, the, they're going to kind of set the bar for where the tourists want to go, right? It's like the tourists always want to figure out where the locals go. Um, I mean, you always have your staples. And I think 82 Queen, I think, is one of those. is like a staple. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's one of the first restaurants I heard of. when I'm Yeah, we were uh, one of five fine dining restaurants in Charleston. Yeah. Five. <laughs> so. Do you guys still operate as, as a fine dining operation? Are you? It's, you know, that's a great question. Yeah. We kind of toe that line, uh-huh. you know, because... At, we definitely play the menu to be more inclusive, you mm-hmm. know, than just fine dining. So I got rid of white tablecloths, you know, some years ago. Yep. You know, one was definitely a cost factor that. I was going to say that. I was like, is that because they're stuffy or because they cost a fortune to put on the table? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think it, it kind of changed the dynamic. You know, it's mm-hmm. not like it's just a white tablecloth restaurant. I mean, it, right. and it's low country food. I mean, it's for us. So it's. It is homey food. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be in a stuffy environment. Right. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Sure. Uh, but, you know, for us, you know, a lot of the experiences come experience our courtyard and experience mm-hmm. these old buildings that you're, you know, being able to dine in and a consistently great quality food. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be, you know, the best food you ever put in your mouth, but it's right. going to be great quality every time you eat it. Yeah. Cool. Shifting gears. Oyster Fest. Also coming up. Yeah, January 29th. Okay. Um, so ticket sales are going phenomenal okay. uh, for that. So that event, this will be its 39th event. Uh, we've missed a couple years in history. It would be over 40 by now. Okay. Uh, but the 39th event of it. And, you know, it started with like 10 guys wanting to do an oyster roast and, you know, in a back at Boone Hall in the back backyard area. And I think they went through like 50 bushels of oysters and they're like, man, this is a fantastic yeah. success. <laughs> Fast forward to today and, you know, I've got an order in for 800 bushels of oysters and wow. and we're planning on about 8,000 people being there. Um, I mean, I th- just tremendous growth over that time period. Yeah. And we've actually scaled back, you know, over the years, you know, at one point we're at 13,000 people and that's way too many people. Yeah. I mean, besides parking low, like it's just way too many people. Right. So 8,000 is a comfortable, <clears throat> comfortable level. VIPs almost sold out already so awesome. that's that's a huge area we've been putting a lot of effort into is the vip area yep because it's 100 percent inclusive so you cool. just go in there you're done yeah um and then the rest of the event you know we've been growing the restaurants if you want to participate we'd love to have you in there okay um so the restaurants in there the oyster pit in there uh with the newest developments on that in the last couple of years is we are offering full bar Mm-hmm. Um, which we did not for many, many years until last year. That's going to be uh, that's oh. a whole new. Uh, yeah, I mean, so we we're all we from a from an event standpoint, we towed into it very cautiously. Yeah, and so sure. we did all RTDs, ready to drink, um, pre-made cocktails to start. Mm-hmm. Like, let's see how this goes. Yeah, you know, most of us, you know, beer and wine events, we're used to that. Like yeah. on the large scale. Yeah. But, you know, 8,000 people throwing liquor at it, we weren't sure. Yeah, yeah, and it's a whole new dynamic. It brings a whole new energy to <laughs> to yeah. an event. It was, you know, very successful, mm-hmm. you know, with that piece. And I, it, we were all, you know, a little scared of people getting too drunk. Mm-hmm. That didn't happen. That's um, great. So that's that's success for that. You yeah. know? So we're going to expand on that. 
you know, piece of the puzzle. So paint the picture of, um, of what the Oyster Fest looks like for somebody who doesn't, either isn't from Charleston or, um, or hasn't been to the Yeah, I think we should start with you are from Charleston because this oyster roast thing is kind of a foreign concept, yeah. which I grew up in Charleston. I always thought like everybody in the world does this. Right. But oyster roast is a weird concept for a yeah. lot of people. Like they're used to raw oysters and, you know, that's an old oysters Rockefeller, some sort of, you know, yeah. that way. So, you know, old Charlestonians, you go and you pick some, pick some oysters, you throw them over the fire, put a burlap sap on it, and then you go, you eat them. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't do it that way. We, we steam them. <laughs> so it's way more efficient to steam them. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, so that's what it evolved into, the steaming oysters. Gotcha. So a lot of people do it in their backyards, you know, mm-hmm. during the burr months. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, February's kind of right, you know, tail end, you know, mm-hmm. of it. And so one big oyster roast, you know, four cherries. And so I think that's one of the other keys of this event is it's 100% charitable. Um, so there's, of say, board of directors or people involved, nobody makes any money on this. Yep. You know, we give away everything we get. Um, not to say this event's don't cost a lot of money. To put on. Yeah, they're, they cost a ton to put on. How much, um, what, where, what charities does the money go to? Are there specific ones or is it, or does it change year to year? Uh, we, we open up applications, but it's, it's okay. pretty specific. And we, we really focus on hospitality education. Mm-hmm. So, you know, CFC is a beneficiary. Uh, Wando is a beneficiary of the ProStart program. Uh, West Ashton High School, they got a ProStart program. They're a beneficiary. Um, Try to Tech. Um, we have a scholarship at Trade Tech now. Um, so Kathy Britzius was the founding executive director. Mm-hmm. I said that right of the of the association. She passed away a few years ago, and so now we've got a scholarship in her name at Trade Tech. Nice, um, awesome lady. Yeah. I wish people could still meet her today. But, yeah. So you know that's there, and then we look at other places. You know, for education scholarships. Mm-hmm. Another big beneficiary is the Coastal Conservation Association. Yeah, so it's a huge one. It's a huge one. Yeah. I mean, and going into oyster farming, mm-hmm. you know, and the and the sustainability of oysters is a big deal. Um, and it's amazing what oysters do for our waters. Yeah, and I think a lot of people don't know that. So I did. I did a podcast with Trey McMillan. and so yeah, Trey's he's awesome. I mean, he's just he's been a good friend for a long time, and um and but. Um, so I, I spent a lot of time out on his farm as he was like building it up, just lear- learning about the process and stuff like that. Um, as a chef, I've always known about oysters and I've always prepared them. Um, but I didn't know, like he's an oyster geek, right? Like he's so consumed by it. And so and he loves to talk about it. So it was, so it was great for, to, to learn about how influential they are on like restoring the natural resources like the, where, where the oyster beds are. I mean, I can't remember the numbers, but he spit out, but it's something ridiculous how much, how many gallons of oysters they filter a day. It's like, it's, it's crazy. It's a number like he said it, and I was like, that's bullshit. <laughs> but, it, but it's true. Yeah, but it's true. And so um, just that effect alone is huge for, um, you know, kind of undoing man's... Uh, yeah, yeah I mean, and then the other thing, so think about our fisheries too. So I mean, mm-hmm. you get the oysters, you get them renourished fish go back to them it's now the fishing gets better and yeah. it's just it's a, it's a it's a great story yes and i think it's one that as we've done the event for this long all of us have come to appreciate that piece of it more and more and more yeah and so then all the oyster shells that we produce go back and go right back into our waters yeah so you know from a greedy standpoint some of these oyster shells come from virginia so yeah. we're getting their oyster shells right in our waters and so we're replenishing our beds mm-hmm. you know with other people's yeah that's awesome. Um, yeah, that's such an important, I'm glad you touched on that because, you know, Tempest, 
our restaurant down there is you know, the, the ethos of that restaurant is South Atlantic seafood, right? Like um, we, we do have lobsters from Maine on there because we don't have lobster here. And so, um, you know, I actually, I was, I hadn't, I had never really eaten spiny lobsters before. And, um, and I was introduced to them recently from a chef buddy of mine and I'm all about, I'm going to start figuring that whole, how I can utilize that. But, but, but going back to the converse, the um, conservation part of it, um, you know, South Atlantic seafood is important to us. And a lot of the things that we've tried to do is develop relationships with local fishermen and then not buy the stuff from the big pack houses where it's coming from, you know, Maine or Boston or where Florida, um, although some of it does, but we try to get it as localized as possible. And it's important that you know, we support events like this so that the fishery is healthy and abundant and so that restaurants like Tempest can, can, and 82 Queen can benefit from having grouper and rockfish and all these, all these fish that will, that will be here because of a result of that. Yeah. And if we can get the price of grouper down by doing this, I'm all for that. <laughs> yeah, right. I love grouper. Yeah. yeah. So what's your favorite fish? Uh, I'll probably say grouper. Yeah. Um, but so the national grouper. So I, I love the lots. Like, yeah. so go back to spiny lobster like that. So I love mm-hmm. everything that comes out of the water there. So I'm heading down there pretty soon next month. Let's see. Is yeah. It, yeah. You're in season. Oh, so yeah. bring your spear. It's time, it's time to, I don't have one. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to go figure it out though. Do you guys cook any redfish? You know, that is one thing we've never really done it. Yeah. And it's been, it's just growing up here, you know, even only like 15 years ago, it was like cool to eat it as a person. Right. You know, residentially. And, you know, I think this restaurant, you know, Red Drum, yeah. you know, kind of brought that idea, you mm-hmm. know, that you can actually eat this fish in a commercial. Yeah. I mean, for those that don't know, I mean, the history of it, like Paul Perdome, you know, in, mm-hmm. in New Orleans, like really brought it to light. Yep. You know, it was a garbage fish people threw away and then he started blackening it, and serving mm-hmm. it, and people fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. And I think it almost wiped the population out. <laughs> Really? Um, yeah. So one person mean, almost yeah, yeah. Paul, Paul Perdome, you're responsible for. Her. Yeah. And so now that it's a great fishery everywhere. Yeah. You know. And so at least here in South Carolina, it's not commercially yeah not really available. So we got to get it from here from Louisiana, which doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. Is it, do do you, do you know why that is? I wonder. I think it's our DNR still still has the limits on it commercially. Yeah. It's probably a little more political than that. Mm-hmm. It's probably you know the residential. Yeah, I say resident recreational fishery. Recre- yeah, or kind of protecting that one. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's a. I love the fish. Yeah, I, so I, you know, I went out. I went fishing with actually one of Trey's buddies. Um, has like a, a inshore fishing outfit, and we we went out with him, and and it was the first time I'd probably caught a fish. I think like I've been fishing a lot and never caught anything. I did a lot of fishing and not a lot of catching, but um, the buzz. Yeah, exactly. So when we went out, we and we we caught some redfish and they are fun to catch. I mean, they are mean fish. Mm-hmm. And, um, so that was exhilarating and super fun. And then, um, you know, we kept them. Um, I'm from up North, um, of New York and stuff. And so I never had redfish or red drum. And so we cooked it up and it's not a bad fit. If you don't get the big ones, like they're super tasty. Yeah. Um, I want to try to bring that, bring that to Tempest and see if I can sell it. Yeah. Um, cool. So uh, oyster roast—that's happening uh, January twenty ninth. Yeah, January twenty ninth. Um, it's one. Is it one day? One single day. Hopefully one day. One day we may change that, but it's yeah. one single day. Um, so it starts at ten o'clock in the morning, goes to five. Um, we've got you know bands lined up, uh, ready to play all day. There's the the competitions. Um, not necessarily my cup of tea. One of them, which is the oyster eating competition, oh. <laughs> um, which is you see people with gallon oysters and they just 
you know, by the cup, swallow them down. Oh my gosh. It's hard to get Yeah. Oh. <laughs> get really into it. I, I, I've been part of this event for a long time. Yeah. I can't watch that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, the oyster shucking competition, though, that one's pretty cool. Awesome. And so there's, you know, some legacy people who've been doing it for years and they can, those people can shuck oysters. Yeah. I mean, better than anybody I've ever seen. What, as far as oyster varieties, do you guys focus on anything? Are you looking at, are you guys trying to, you know, so is it southern oysters? Are there northern oysters? Oysters from everywhere? What's the... So really two places. Um, so when the, the oyster festival started, it's all local oysters. Yeah. Um, so our local beds cannot keep up, yeah. you know, with this. And on top of it, that is a... January is a fantastic month for people's home oyster roasts. So mm-hmm. even our local pickers can't keep up. Yeah. So Trey is bringing out, I think, 300 bushels this year. Okay. Um, local oysters from the Edisto area. So mm-hmm. and then he's going to be cooking those. And I think he's offering some... For shucking or for uh, for raw oysters as well. Nice. So we get the balance from James River. Okay. Um, so the James River beds they're strong and you know they can provide the quantity that we need. Yep. So it's about 500 bushels. Okay. That we're getting from them. I mean, it's it's a lot of oysters. Yeah. So Trey thinks he can in a couple of years he may be able to bridge that gap a little more. Yeah, I hope so. So well, I mean, the, our, so the dynamic of people eating them is weird though. They like the James Rivers. A lot of people. Because they're singles, uh-huh. because they're gigantic. But mm-hmm. I got a picture of somebody like it's the size of their entire. Yeah, I don't. I don't like. Them. I don't like that either. I love my local oysters, and they could be the size of my fingernail, but yeah. I still love them. I grew up. Um, I grew up on the North Shore of Boston, so the big oyster town, lobster is our thing, and um, you know, like the Cape Cod oysters are they're 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 medium size. They're not tiny. Um, trays are 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 small oysters, which I like a lot, and they're super briny. But the big honking, like I can't, I can't do them. Like some of those, like some of those Canadian oysters get big too, and I, it's just too much. It's funny, like my daughter, she's 11, 12, 11 years old. Um, she loves the giant snot rockets. Like that's yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> okay, cool, you can eat them. <laughs> that actually gave me a thought. <laughs> Not the snot rocket, but the giant oyster about how to maybe prepare those in a way um, where they don't um, have that texture of of snot rocket, right. you know, where you could do it in a way where it's maybe brings out the meatiness of them a little bit more. I, w- I wonder if there's a way to do that. But anyways, that's for another. Right. <laughs> cool. Um, so what else is going on? That's um, I think we covered we covered oysters. We covered um, restaurant week. What else do you guys have coming down the pipeline? Are um, you? What's the focus right now? Yeah, so we, um, the last three years have been weird. I haven't grown in three years. That's been a really weird time of my life. Yeah. Um, because one of my main philosophies, you know, I stole it from Danny Myers, but is creating opportunities for my staff. Mm-hmm. And the only way to create opportunities in this business is to grow your business and create 100%. more stores. Yep. Um, so we haven't done that in three years. It's been driving me insane. Yeah. You know, I've actually realized that I've been kind of depressed for the last three years mm-hmm. because of that. Yeah. So now coming out of it, I've got like a lot of ideas and a lot of things we want to do, you know, and one of, one of the things I've been looking for for the last year, year and a half is an event space. Mm-hmm. And so the other piece of the puzzle is I get calls at H2 Clean of groups I cannot take. And yep. that as an operator drives you insane on that side. So I, yeah. I, I wasn't growing my staff and I'm turning away business. I'm like, how does this make sense? Yeah, gotta fix it. Yeah, so we're looking at an event space cool. right now. Um, so we'll hopefully within the next couple of weeks, you know, be able to announce. You know that, but it might be called the Sweet Restroom. Might already have a website. Might already have an LLC ready to go. <laughs> so, so it's happening. It's, it's, it's happening. It's just where it's going to be. Yeah, yeah. I'm ninety-five percent sure I know where it's going to be. Nice. Um, it might Good. be very close to where we're sitting right now. Awesome. Um, I hope that you can announce that soon. I really do. <laughs> um, so that you know is one kind of small piece of the puzzle. But what it really 
kind of launches as our catering department again. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we after we sold our business, uh, Swig and Swine, we had a giant catering crew, you know, with that. We haven't really got back into the catering game. And it is a tremendously fun piece of the puzzle for hospitality. Mm -hmm. And and I, I honestly, I love that. I love the event side. Yeah. You know, the, the restaurant side I love too, but I mean, it's just a whole different thing. You can see different things, do this and that. Right. And, you know, as a chef, you get to tailor your menu to what that person wants versus I have my menu, which I love, mm -hmm. but I've made the same dish 8,000 times. I'm ready to do something different. <laughs> well, catering, you need to make 8,000 a day. Yes. <laughs> that, that dish. At least it's a day. Dish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but I'm really looking to get back into that side of the business. And yeah. then while in the process of looking for spaces, I've actually been looking at restaurant spaces too. Yeah. And so I think, uh, you know, one of the, our goals three years ago, three years ago and a couple of days mm -hmm. when we opened Jalisco was I didn't want one store right I wanted multiple stores yeah and so you know that if you don't know it's like high-end Mexican mm -hmm. it's on James Island and you know high-end Mexican is a thing that I don't think Charleston really knows very well about mm -hmm. you know it is a thing you know yeah. some of the Mexican food I mean the the cuisine is so complex mm -hmm. I mean and, and I mean as a chef you appreciate the complexity of it yeah, you know, and so the chef there, he was a classically French trained chef, and it's mm -hmm. just, it still can challenge him every single day. Yeah. So, you know, getting that name out more and more, you know, and growing that brand, you know, and, you know, how do we grow that brand? What do we do? So, little things, we just bought a food truck. So, mm -hmm. I'm like the reverse of every other food truck guy. So, we, <laughs> we started with a restaurant, now we're yeah. in a food truck, yeah. versus start with a food truck, go to a restaurant. Um, so one of that is mainly outreach. Yeah, it was just you know bring it to other people, and then also use that to identify where to put the next restaurant. Yeah, um, where 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 is there a demand for that? Exactly. Yeah, and so like it. I, I've got a lot of feelers in the Park Circle area. Mm -hmm. I'd like to like to go over there, but I mean I'm not pigeonholed to that. But I've got maybe one or two spots that I'm looking at pretty closely there. Nice. Are you um, you you're focused heavily in Charleston? That's you know, I keep it uh, close to home. And yeah, I, I try to think of this idea, and, and you can teach me how to do it, but how to multi-city operate. I can't teach you. We're, 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 we haven't got it figured out yet. Yeah, yeah. We're, 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 we're successful at what we're doing right now, uh, but it's, it's an immense amount of effort. I mean, I don't, and, uh, you know, sometimes I don't always do things the easy way. Um, you know, I do things my way, <laughs> and, it's like, and it works, but it's maybe not the most efficient. It's maybe not the most, um, but we always get it there. You know, I think, um, you know, in our expansion, we, we've been blowing up because so, we were in the same boat. I mean, we were stagnant for, for three years doing nothing but trying to figure out how to, like, survive. Um, and that was never part of our plan. And so we've been in hyperdrive to I mean, we, we have a lot of talented staff that's been with us for a long, long time. And speaking to the Danny Meyer thing, um, we have to have places for these people um, to you know, to evolve and to grow and to become leaders and whatever, um, if we're going to stay successful. So, so we've been, we've been on them, that March. Um, although I think for us, you know, we, our concept is it's, it's pretty dynamic, but I don't think that one market will, will sustain multiple church and unions or, you know what I mean? Like you can't have multiple tempests in Charleston, it's it's a very specific thing, and so for us, it's important to kind of, you know, pick our our markets um, like that. So it's been a challenge. It's all, it's been a lot of fun too. Yeah, I, mean, I, I keep thinking about it too. I mean, it's it's ventured outside of Charleston before, and it's mm -hmm. just, you know, did a Polly's Island location. Yeah, that wasn't successful. Mm -hmm. But 
I think that's a concept that can work in a few other cities. Mm -hmm. everywhere. Right. Because it's very select. So yes. Savannah, I think, yeah, I think it could work well. And I think even Greenville, like, it can work really well there. At least yep. those are drive markets for me. Mm -hmm. So you can drive there. Right. I am a pilot, so I can oh, cool. there too. So yeah. it makes it a little easy on that standpoint. Um, so that's, that's another thought process that I've learned from Tommy Hall. Yeah. Is, you know, he's... He's got these stores in multiple locations all in the southeast. Mm -hmm. He has the plane, and he can visit two and three of them a day. Oh, wow. And so, I mean, from a restaurant operator standpoint, we love to micromanage, even though we don't love to micromanage. Oh, right. We can't help it. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's I mean, it's, in, it's in the it's DNA. Being there, you know, it's, right. it's a big piece of the puzzle. And, and I know I'm not naive. My staff acts different when I'm there yeah. than when I'm not there. <laughs> I, you know, I think if, as an operator and as an owner, um, it, it, that has been probably the most challenging thing for me is right is like how do I empower my team to like make decisions and become um, the leader that that I want them to be without stepping on their toes and my micromanaging them and then um, but still being involved right like because you know I I don't get to cook the way that like I'm a chef first you have the chef guilt. yeah like, yeah yeah big time right yeah, all the time. Like last night, I was obsessing about it. I'm actually going to do a podcast about it after this because um, I got to talk about it. I got I to put it in motion how I can actually touch food again. Um, so, yeah, I got to go in there. I'm like tasting everything. They're like, oh, shit. They're like, fucking chefs here. He's going to start bitching about this or that or whatever. But, um, but, but that's a tough, it's a tough skill to learn. Um, but I think for any operators that want to grow and be successful, you, you have to embrace your team and give them the ability right to like take control and and give them an avenue or a outlet to do that i think you gotta, you gotta give them opportunities and mistakes yeah and you just have to be there to catch them so the mistake doesn't yeah. go bad yeah so but let them make a mistake let them learn from it and right hopefully it doesn't hurt too many things minimizing the 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 fallout of a mistake right. is, is our job right it's like how do we contain the damage exactly, yeah. to just like manageable right on um cool well i'm excited to hear about um your event space. I hope that works out for you. Good luck with that. And um, maybe we'll circle back in a little bit. It was nice meeting you and good talking to you, man. Awesome. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers.